Thank you so much for joining Hill City Church Online. For more information about how we do life together, you can find us at hillcitychurch.ca. We would love to help you discover your next steps in this journey of living and loving like Jesus. Now stay tuned for another encouraging and inspiring message from Hill City Church. Morning. So we've been doing the Over the Wall series, purpose of it all being um, uh, how to reach beyond ourselves. And sometimes the wall is within us, and sometimes the wall is in others. And we have to have tools, and we have to have understanding in order to get over ourselves, and then also how to reach people effectively with truth and grace. And so um, I know that we've hit a lot of topics already. I'm, I'm trying to think if I, I don't even know if I could title them all right now, but I know we talk, Pastor Mitch was out here the other week talking about status, where I talked about about not the, the wall of knowledge or kind of like needing to understand things in a, even in a, a reasonable way in order to communicate it. Um, we talked about the stigmas that we need to pull down. We talked about fear. Anyway, so today we're talking about, um, we're going to talk about getting over the religious wall. And uh, I'm actually quite passionate about this topic. I was a kid who, I grew up in a Christian family Grew up in Abbotsford, Fraser Valley, the Bible Belt, you know, was it the, the buckle of the belt <laughs> of, of, the, of a religious community, and not even just Christian. We also, it's a, it's a crossroad of other religions as well. We see the influence in Vancouver of lots of different religions, and then also, um, so we, you know, we see a great um, a Muslim and a Buddhist and, a, and Sikh and lots and lots of different religions, and uh, yeah, but I'm passionate about it because I grew up in the church and I didn't even know I had a testimony until, like I would have just said, I don't know what my testimony is. I kind of just was a pretty good kid. And then, and then Jesus saved me from my self-righteousness. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I've never been the same. I was 19 years old on a bus Doing a, I was a part of a discipleship school. Like I was, I was committed. I was in this thing, and I even, I would even say I loved God. I and I, the best I could, you know. And but it was the Lord who just said, He said to me, Bonnie, you, you think you're good? Like no one's good but God. And I and I love you. Kind of like, don't you see what I've saved you from? You and all your goodness. Doesn't, it doesn't match up to my goodness. And so I've saved even you. And uh, yeah, it changed everything. Put purpose into me. And, and even actually, because I'd grown up, I, this isn't in my notes. That's all right. Maybe somebody needs to hear this. I even wrestled, because I grew up in the church. Who, how much, can you raise your hand if you did grow up in the church or like you have that background? It's, not, it's pretty common. Like we're in the region for it, you know. Um, how many of you just repeatedly asked Jesus into your heart, <laughs> you know, year after year? Anybody else? Was that, you know, like, and then you'd like, you'd sin, and then you'd be like, I don't think it worked. I'm going to have to do it again, you know? And so I did that over and over again, and I actually never had a confidence of my own salvation until at 19. I, I now looking back, I do know that I was saved because of 
I mean, it's like we are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. It's that process, and you see that in Scripture. So I'm confident that I was saved, but I didn't have the conviction and the confidence of my salvation until at 19, I finally, it was like I got drained of my self-righteousness. And then I was like, oh, now I see why people are confident in their salvation. Anyway, so I'm passionate about this topic because I think that uh, there's a whole bunch of people who know all the right answers, but it's almost like they've been insulated by the right answers so much that when even the word of God is spoken, it doesn't even pierce them anymore. And so it's, I, I pray that by the Spirit there would be an unwrapping of insulation, maybe even a draining of, <laughs> that sounds gross, but kind of is how it feels, a draining of self-righteousness so that we would all really see how the ground at the foot of the cross is level no matter what your background is, you know? So the religious, um, I've heard people talk about, you know, they'll use the phrase like a religious spirit, but I'm going to... So if I accidentally say that, what I really am meaning to say is like a religious attitude and a religious behavior, like a religious, um, I mean, some people could say they like watch football religiously, like it's, it's just this thing that we just always do. But I think if anyone says that, what they're really meaning is I care a lot about it, I'm really passionate about it, um, but I'm not really talking about that type of religious behavior. Even the word religion isn't even a negative word necessarily. Uh, in the book of James, it says, this is true religion, is to look after the widows and orphans and to keep oneself like um, kind of unstained by the immorality of the world. So it's not a negative word, but we do see Jesus' interactions with a lot of the teachers of religious law, not all of them, but most of them, we saw that, we see that Jesus actually really disliked their, their mode of operation. And so I want to talk in scripture here uh, Maybe you'll see yourself or parts of yourself in what Jesus was coming up against. So, so here are some, some indications of religious attitude and behavior as we see in the Gospels. Especially, the, I find that the book of Matthew, um, maybe Luke as well, but especially Matthew, just story after story of just this fight between, uh, or like this like how upset the religious leaders were at the time when Jesus came. And so even the other day, I because uh, we read a little bit of the Bible every as many mornings as we can with the kids, and, and I asked them, like, what have you noticed about the teachers of religious law? And they said, um, they kind of, as we talked about it, boiled down to one was that they cared a lot about the opinions of people. You'll see that phrase will say that they were going to do it, but then they were afraid of what the people would think. They were going to do this, but they were afraid of the people. So there's this, in the religious attitude, it has a lot to do with outer appearances. Um, and then they also pointed out that they didn't like the fact that they couldn't be in control or that they couldn't be in charge. Jesus was on the scene and he's like, you don't even recognize me? Like, I'm the son of God. I'm allowed to be in charge. And they just went squirrely. They hated not being in control. So those are two, those are two big indications, even, and and I want to say that be having a religious attitude isn't just for those who've grown up in the church. I've, I'd say, actually, I meet people who are not a part of the church who can sometimes behave more in that way of controlling and afraid of what people think than people who go to church every Sunday, if that makes sense. So um, it's, a, it's, a sin, it's a sin problem. It's not necessarily a what-you-do-every-week problem, if that makes sense. Um, so uh, they're committed to an outer appearance. 
And we even see that um, in some circumstances, it had to do with a compensating for something that they were hiding, uh, which has then links to the thoughts of, um, or to, yeah, to the thoughts of like hypocrisy and being judgmental. Uh, hypocrisy comes from, um, in the Greek times, actors would wear masks and they were called hypocrites. So when Jesus would say to them, like, you hypocrites, he was saying, you're wearing a mask. Like, you pretend to be something, but I know what you really are. So, and again, that can be in the church and outside the church. It's just simply a sin issue of not having integrity of who you really are and showing that. Um, and then also, um, because they, a lot of religious Attitude, people with a religious attitude actually think that they could earn right standing with God. And they, keep, they do really, they work really hard to keep track of like, I did this many bad things, but I did this many good things. Um, and so it's kind of this, and if they've done enough good things, they have this sense of like, maybe they'll try to hide the bad ones. Again, we see the hypocrisy. Um, but they also then can have a tendency to be judgmental of those who haven't maybe done as much as they think they should. Right? So um, we see those indications. Uh, and I want to say, when I hear, yeah, I think that it, it links back to this thought of transactional. It's like a transactional relationship with God, where it's like, I do these things for you, so you do these things for me. And it's very like a buy and sell instead of a true relationship. So have you ever, have you ever heard people say like, well, I don't believe in, I don't believe, I'm not religious or Christianity is just like this, like an organized religion or something. And it's like, um, oh no, no, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. <laughs> it's so common. Uh, maybe you guys have said it, and it. But in the essence, that is the difference between Christianity and all other relationships in the world. Sorry, all other religions in the world is that our God says, come have relationship with me not so much about the, tra it's not about the transactions and the, how many hours you put in, how, how fluent you are in memorizing these prayers, that kind of stuff. So, and, and so, and then I also mentioned about wanting to be in control. Now this, um, this is pretty, uh, it was actually pretty eye-opening for me. I'm going to open up to Psalm 115, verse 3 to 8. If you guys just, you know, as I'm looking out at you, just, if you're, if you're hearing me, just give me a nod. Is it making sense, you know? Uh, um, okay, so Psalm 115, verse 3 to 8, and it's going to be up on the screen as well. Okay, we'll, um, I'll start in verse 4, actually. I don't know if we have verse 4. Oh, we have 3, okay. But our God is in heaven in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk, and they cannot make a sound with their throat. And verse 8 says, those who make them, who make these idols, will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. And it's repeated again later in Jeremiah as well. It's this big chunk of scripture that talks about 
and idolatry. And I realized, like I just started thinking about how God, one of the first commands that he gave to the people of Israel, he said, don't make an image of me. Don't Don't put me into a statue. Don't try to put me into just one. Don't give me only one facial expression. Don't give me only one posture. Don't box me in with stone or wood, with gold or silver. Even though you're religious about it and you bring offerings to it or you sacrifice to it, if you put me into one box, you'll forget that I have love for you and that you can love me. And I started to think this religious attitude wants to be in control, so much so that it will even control the image that they portray of God. And they will only think, maybe they'll, I mean, I thought, I thought how interesting is this, is that Imagine someone were to maybe even do like a portrait of you. What facial expression would you hope they would <laughs> capture for all time? <laughs> but like, aren't you more than one facial expression? Like, yes. Okay, so I'm hoping people would see me as like happy, you know? I'm sure all of us would, or maybe thoughtful, you know, or something. But like, I sure have other facial expressions than that. Because I'm, a, because I'm a person and I'm dynamic. And I, even though I am I'm work, you know, working to be faithful, even within my faithfulness, I still have different parts of who I am. So it was God was like, don't make an idol of me. Don't freeze me. Don't control me. I see you in all you are. Do you see me in all I am? I don't think I've ever related to that thought where people would say, like, we don't want to box God in. And I'd be like, yeah, totally. Like, I, I don't know what you, I don't know what that, how do, how do, have I ever done that? Maybe I have. Maybe when I demand him, I do these things, God, so you have to do these things. And I fall into that religious attitude of transactional living. So they form a God in their own image because they want to be in control. Here's what's crazy. When I, as I read that, some of you who are familiar with the scriptures and with Jesus' teachings, the phrase where it says, they have eyes but they cannot see, they have ears but they cannot hear. How crazy. Okay, so then it jumps down and it says, those who make them will become like them. And I would say that's something with people who are religious is don't they become a little bit stiff? Don't they become a little bit unfeeling? Don't they become a little bit unable to empathize? It's not what we want to be, but it's like the what we've done to God, we ourselves start to become. So later, if you're familiar with Jesus' teaching, how many times would he talk to the people of Israel, the Jews, and he would say, you have eyes, but you cannot see. You have ears, but you cannot hear. Now what he was doing was, they were all familiar with it, is it a, a rabbinic tradition where they would quote the first part of the scripture because they knew that everybody memorized the other part. So he was saying, you have eyes, but you cannot see. You've become like the God you tried to form me into. So as we force, we just say, God, you have to do these certain things. 
I want to be in control, then we ourselves start to harden. Let those who have ears, let them hear. Those who have eyes, let them see. Even right now, if, if you think, I want to understand, I can tell that I can't understand. Even I read the scriptures and, I, and it's, like, it's like hitting rock. I can't get it. I, sure, like I cognitively understand, but I don't have revelation. This is even the fact that you would, even the fact that you would say, I don't want that, is an indication that God's gonna answer that prayer. So if that's you right now, go ahead and just say, Holy Spirit, open my ears to hear, open my eyes to see a new way. John the Baptist, he was, if you know, if you're familiar with him, he was. Um, radical guy. Uh, prophetically, he was somebody who came preparing, they say, preparing the way of Jesus. And so he went, he preached a, a message of repentance from sin. Um, and crowds would come out to see him and he was like, he was like radical. Like he would, he was eating grasshopper before grasshopper was known to be a good protein source, you know? And he, it, grasshopper, honey, and he would wear was it camel hair? You know, just real comfortable guy. And uh, people would come out to hear what he had to say because he was radical. And it said, there's a recording of what he says in Luke chapter 3. is The crowd is coming, and then it says the teachers of religious law are coming out to watch him. Who is this guy stirring things up, right? So, we get, so Luke chapter 3, start, I'll start in verse 7. He says, he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, so he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I wonder, I have it, probably have it in the message, so let me read it here. When crowds of people came for baptism, because it was the popular thing to do, there we go, the opinions of people, John exploded, you brood of snakes. What do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Isn't it, it's like just really not, imagine doing that in a church service, just like, oh, look at everyone's coming in. Wait a second, what are your motives? Anyway, what do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skins is going to deflect God's judgment? It's your life that must change, not your skin. Don't think you can pull rank by claiming Abraham as father. Being a child of Abraham is neither here nor there. Children of Abraham are a dime a dozen. God could make children from stones if he wants. What counts as your life? Is it green and blossoming? blossoming, because if it's dead wood, it goes on the fire. How beautiful. So that phrase, whenever you see the word of like hardness of stones and stuff like that, it actually is, is referring to the hardness of heart. It's that God can t make children out of, out of hard-hearted people, which would often in the Old Testament be referred to as the Gentiles, the kids who didn't know better, kids who were never taught how to pray, who were never taught about Yahweh. God could make children out of hard-hearted people. It's about what's on the inside. Even the part where Jesus, remember, he's coming into, the, into Jerusalem and everyone's like honoring him and they're doing like palm branches and they're throwing their coats on the road and the religious leaders again. Jesus, make them stop. This is craziness. And he said, if they don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. It's again the, I have the ability to change people's hearts, to take an unresponsive, hard heart and make it 
soft, and responsive. That's why we as Gentiles get a chance. Because <laughs> the one that even the Jews rejected at that time, then it was able to be brought out to all the world. And the Jews too are going to still, they will always be God's people. It's not an exclusion of them by any means. So that verse relates, I relate to that verse because for so long I was a child of Abraham. I was a church kid. I was, grew up in the church. And God was saying, so what he said to them is like being a child of Abraham, like being a descendant of Abraham, that means not much. It has to do with your heart. There's this um, a proverb, an old Irish proverb that I love so much, and it says, no matter how tall your grandfather is, every man has to do his own growing. And that's the way it is in the kingdom. Each of us are responsible. So growing up a certain way is not the same thing as faith. So may that, if it needs to land on you today, I pray it lands on you. It's everyone must do their own growing and their own deciding. Christianity is not a family tradition. So... This is the problem. It's not just a Christian problem. It's a human problem where we try to control God. We try to control what people will perceive of us. We fear vulnerability. We fear the risk of real relationship. And I felt like as I was preparing for this, I just realized the antidote for the religious attitude is friendship. It's so, like it boils down to something so simple and something we all need so desperately. And God knew it. When I was 17, and I've shared this story before because it actually it was so like dramatic, like such a shift for me, is I was starting to, my heart was starting to soften, I would say, and I was starting to be awakened to a greater reality than just duty or just like doing what was right. And uh, I remember coming to a place of like, <laughs> I was at a youth conference, and I remember doing, you know, like those big statements like, I'm not good. I said, I'm not going to move from this place until you meet me. And I'm even fasting right now. And so like, that's how serious I am. I'm a, you know, like I'm 17. I'm desperate because I don't want to go through religious activity for the rest of my life. There's something missing. God, I need you to meet me. And I was, I didn't know what I was expecting. I'd heard other stories of other people and the things they would hear from God. Um, I was, I think I was hoping for something like that. You know, and what he said to me took a while, even. You know, <laughs> I was holding true. I was being stubborn, not going to move till you talk to me, till you do something. And all, what he said to me was, will you be my friend? I didn't realize, you guys, it was an invitation to breaking off that religious attitude that was in me. And I think some of you today, you need to know that he wants, he wants to be your friend. And I want you to read scripture with that in mind. John 15, verse 12 to 17, Jesus has been, this is one of the, it's like the, one of the deep conversations that Jesus has with his disciples on earth. I love these, these 
like 14 through 17, these chapters are just so rich with like, I would say with, with question, leaves me with question marks. Like, what do you mean by that? And why did you repeat that so many times? And like, it's just full of emotion. Um, in chapter 15, verse 17, from verse 12 to 17, listen to what Jesus says to them. He's just about to be crucified even. Like he's kind of coming to the end of his earthly ministry. He says, this is my commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That you lay down your life for, his, for your friends. You are my friends. If I do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves. For slaves don't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This, is my co this I command you. You love one another. And I think... So if friendship, so we don't want to be religious in that negative sense. What frees us from being, always being in control, wanting to be in control, and from caring so much about what people think? And it has to do with, it has to do with disciplines. Disciplines of friendship. How funny does that sound? But how many of you, maybe now even that you're older and you, you're an adult, and you realize how much work has to go into friendship. If you want those friendships to live, you have to choose it, don't you? So it's almost like a discipline of friendship. Jesus would talk often about like, when you're praying to the Father, don't do it, don't just do it loud and big for everyone to hear. But do it in a quiet place where it's just you and God. Right there, he's giving us a tool to breaking that religious spirit. So how much time in a week do you give to that relationship, to that friendship? So then, of course, when we get back together, it's not like, it's not like God wants us all to just be silent, not pray together as well. But he's saying, if this is happening, it's going to protect you from a religious attitude. When you give, don't do it the way, he says, don't do it the way the teachers of religious law do it, where they make a big show and they're all like, look how much I do. No, like do, do things quietly where no one sees it and it will protect you from that religious attitude. So friendship, the, the intimacy of friendship. I, just these last couple of weeks again, I feel like I've had a renewed gratitude for legitimate friendship in my life. Um, I, wrote, I wrote some in my journal, and I thought, I'll just, I'm going to read some of it to you. Friendship. <laughs> it's the late night laughter. It's been the prayer and comfort in the midst of suffering. It's a meal at the front door in sickness. It's been practical help. Moving watching over our kids, teaching new skills. It's conversations that have no need for a backstory. 
and his prophetic declarations over me when I've forgotten who I am and who I'm called to be. It's been counsel in confusing times. And it's been forgiveness for my flaws and foolishness. And slowly, one vulnerable moment, vulnerable moment after another, a friendship has formed. Vulnerable, try again, forgiving, investing, trying, giving, sacrificing, reaching out. And friendship forms like a sedimentary rock, layer upon layer. And as I was writing those things, I mean, I have stories in my mind of friends who've showed up for me. I hope, I hope that my name shows up on their list that I've showed up for them. Can we break down a religious wall in our own lives by recognizing Jesus as our friend, the God of the universe, the creator of all, the one who does as he pleases, who will not be controlled, that he shows up for us. He shows up for me. When I was 15 years old, I faced, uh, it was like the rug got pulled out from under me um, with some, yeah, just some tragic news is how I can say it. And I, I remember coming home after learning about it and locking myself in the bathroom and curling up on the floor crying. And I actually felt his, like I'd never felt it like this before, but I felt his comforting presence come and kind of just like cover me. I'm so, I'm so grateful for him. I went through a state uh, probably about six years ago. I went through a season of sickness. That was the most trying I've ever faced. Months and months of sickness and weakness where I couldn't, I wouldn't sleep and um, I could, would sleep for maybe 15 minutes and then be awake for half an hour, 40 minutes and then wrestle, try to get back to sleep. And, and I remember I would have to sleep sitting up. I was pregnant at the time. It was brutal. But I remember um, looking out the window he was, it felt like he was too quiet in that stage, in that season. But I do know that I would look out the window and always around, it was probably around four in the morning, I would see the star and it was the morning star and it would just be right in my view. And I felt like the Lord just said like, I'm your morning star, a promise that dawn is coming. And so there was, it was like nothing else but there was that star every night. It got me through that. He's brought me counsel. The Holy Spirit has brought me counsel in the middle of great confusion. Confusion in relationships. Confusion even in doctrine. Confusion in um, who I am. And it was just little clues that he'll give me counsel. He's given me conviction when that brought me to freedom. Things that I thought, this is crazy, God. Why are you asking this of me? And he would just like, please just trust me. Come towards this conviction that then ended up being greatest freedom for me. And he's brought me times where I feel mortified and embarrassed by silly things that I do. Silly and foolish things that I've done. And I go to him and I'm like, I never, either like, I never want to, to step out and risk again, or, you know, I'm such an idiot, or I'm such a, you know, ah, oh. and instead of beating me up, he 
he honors me and he says, I'm so proud of you for trying. That's my girl. I just think, man, like the religious, the religious don't experience this type of friendship, do they? This sweet friendship of Jesus. Psalm 25, verse 14 in the message, I'll read it from up here. It says, God friendship is for God worshipers. They are the ones he confides in. Other translations, other translations would say, like, the secret of the Lord is reserved for those who honor or fear or respect him. Friendship of the Lord is for those who will worship him. So that word there about um, where it says God friendship, that word in the Hebrew has the, con- has the thought of um, in- included in the word because the he- Hebrew language was so... Um, so like poetic and metaphorical too. So one word would have a feeling connected to it or a, a big thought connected to it is um, the feeling of, of two chairs being pulled up towards each other for the sake of communication. And I, so it's like, are we people who take a moment to, to pull up our chair close to him, to let him pull up a chair close to us? If we do that, we, are, we will be freed from the religious spirit. Dare I say daily, multiple times a day? I mean, some of us, it's, it, I know that in the early stages of the journey, it can be like, how about more than just Sunday? <laughs> more than just Sunday mornings, you know? And you're like, yeah, right, I should do that, I should do that. Not, but let's, say like, let's not say we should do that. Let's say I want to do that. Isn't that a different feeling? Do what you know you want to do and pull up your chair and let him and start to talk to each other the way you would talk to your friend. Because we naturally tell our friends the things that are going on in our life. When something great happens, I hope and I pray that there's people in your life that you would think, oh, I totally need to tell them about this. This is awesome. And then when something difficult happens, I also hope and pray that we've grown a community enough that we'd say, I need help. I know who I'll call. I'll know who I'll text. Or I know who I should, and I know that they would. It's it's vulnerable. It's hard, but I, and I will call. I will reach out. I have found that friendship with God is almost like a posture that I have to choose and that I too often, it's almost like my muscles can get out of alignment and I can get lazy and slouch into, an old, into a wrong way of thinking about God and a way he thinks about me. And it's almost like, do you know, this is funny, but when I was like, I don't know if I've ever really told any about, anybody about this. When I was probably like 10 or 11, I was pretty shy. And I remember I would like go for, when I would like go for walks with my mom and my sisters and stuff is that I would always just have my head down. And then it was like one day I just went, I wonder if I should look up. <laughs> and so then I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a, I'm going to look up from now on. Anyway, and but it was like I had to choose it. And then I'd be like, don't look down, don't look down, don't look down, don't look down. <laughs> so funny, but it's, it is a posture. So, so friendship is a choice with God. It's a posture. And then I also thought it's kind of like um, lately I've been practicing the guitar a little bit. And I, every, every once in a while I'll have to tune it because I can tell 
it's just out of tune or maybe one of the kids was playing with it. Anyway, and I have this tuner and on the screen, it's like when I hit the, the note or like the strum, the chord or the string, it'll be like ding, 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 ding. I do that. Ding, ding. And then it on the screen, it'll like kind of slide in. Oh, too high, go lower. Oh, too low, go higher. Ding, ding, ding. And then you got to like tighten it. Ding, 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 ding. And then it's like sometimes you just hit it. Ah, there it is. And I feel like friendship is like that too. Even friendship with people where you're like, oh, something feels off. Ooh, ah, ooh, ooh, ah, ooh, whatever. Anyway, so it's like a choice, a discipline to stay in tune. Um, and that is the power. There is a power in friendship, isn't there? I think of those late night silly conversations that we have with people who know us. And we don't have to like, we don't have to put on a facade. We don't have to, we can take off our masks what if we could live like that all the time? For our sake, wouldn't that be so beautiful? Oh, wouldn't that be so beautiful? Just be with people and be like, I think you're gonna love me. I think you are. Imagine all of us living like that. And then imagine somebody who's never been in a community like that comes in and finds out everybody loves them. And they're like, I can, really? How about now? How about now? How about now? And we're like, yeah. We're a place of friendship. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Are we friends of sinners? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. But it's so hard, right? And it takes conversations and it takes figuring out what people really mean. Because when you first meet someone and they say something, it can feel totally out of, it's out of context. You're like, do you always talk about politicians like that? Is that just a joke? You know what, do you know what I mean? Like things like that, where you're like, is this your normal? Or is, so it takes time to build these friendships, but are you gonna stay engaged, link in? Or are, you gonna, or are we gonna demand those images of each other? The idols, again, where we turn God into an idol, we make everyone else be into an idol, we make ourselves just be hard. Oh, it sounds tiring and not like life. God is real, he is dynamic, he is flexible. He says, don't turn me into a stone image. I was reading something in, um, in Mark a little while ago, and it stood out to me as interesting. I feel like I need to tie it in. Mark 16, verse 14. So this is after Jesus has come, come back to life, and he's revealed himself to a few people. And then those few people went to all their friends and said, you guys, Jesus is alive. It's so awesome. And those people didn't believe it because it was just like, that's crazy. What are you talking about? And so here's Jesus now coming to the whole group. And it says, it says he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he reproached them for their unbelief and the hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And I just wrote as a side note in my Bible, I said, humanity doesn't seem to have a hard time believing bad news. Why don't we believe good? And I realized that unbelief is linked to that hardness of heart. It's to having eyes but cannot see, having ears but cannot hear. Belief is risky and vulnerable. Relationship is risky and vulnerable. And not everyone is willing to choose it. And so we 
fall into patterns of fear and judgment and self-preservation, accusation against others and doubt. Unbelief is not just is not about not understanding. It's about saying it's too hard, it's too risky, too vulnerable to stay in this soft-hearted place with God where I hope and believe the good. And uh, I'm going to close with just this a story that uh, happened in our home probably about a month and a half ago. One of our sons had been invited to a birthday party. And he's so funny. He's not, not one of these boys, but one of the younger ones. Um, he was feeling so insecure. I don't know if anyone else feels insecure when they get invited to go to a party and you go through all the mental, like, thinking of the Grinch, what would I wear? What do I wear? And what if, well, I know what to say and who's going to be there? And, and so this one son, actually, he has a, like a tendency towards that to kind of just maybe overthinking. And, and so he, that morning... We're supposed to be doing homework, and he is, like, melting down. Because we homeschool family, so we're supposed to, you know, I'm supposed to be, like, a teacher. Here we go. Let's do lessons. But he's like, no, no go. Like, I am, I, I'm having a hard time because we have a party that I'm really excited for, but I'm really intimidated of. And so we were laying on the floor in our, in our bedroom, the master bedroom, and, he come, and it boils down to this. He says, what if there is no party? And I said, like, you mean like they made it up? Like, like they put out fake invitations to trick, like to trick us? He goes, yeah. What if there's no party? And then he goes, and what if there's no God? And I said, In my heart, I went, you're right. That's almost the exact same question. And that's how we live. What if this is all a scam? What if there is no party? What if I show up with my heart and God doesn't show up for me? It's the same question. This is why Jesus would always say, the kingdom of heaven is like a feast. And you're invited. And so then I said to him, we we kind of tried to answer both questions, right? I said, how will we ever know if there is a party unless we drive there and show up? I'll go there with you. And if there's no party, then we'll deal with it then. But what if there is a party and you don't show up? How many people... What if there is a God, but you're not willing to be vulnerable and show up with him? This is an invitation. It's an invitation to friendship. There was a party. They didn't, it wasn't all just a ploy to embarrass my son. (laughs) There really was a party, and he had a great time. (laughs) I don't know if we caught up on homework, but... He learned an emotional lesson, and that is also valuable. (laughs) Okay, so I felt, I knew that this morning would have this interesting, like, if you were trying to take notes, I don't know what you would have written down. Because I had this feeling of like, "Mm, 
talk about things. I hope that you grab something out of it. We're going to worship for a few minutes here, and I would love it if you guys would, if you'd stand. Do you know that I hesitate, because I grew up in the church, I actually hesitate to tell people what to do in a church setting, because I kind of want to go, just do what's in your heart, be free, you know, but I, I also know sometimes we just need to be told what to do, so if you would stand, if you feel like it, if you don't, I'm not upset, uh, we're going to sing together, and what I would love to do is as we worship, respond to the invitation, say, I'm going to come to the party and I'm going to take my mask down and I'm going to let other people do the same. You may even need to repent for trying to force God to wear only one facial expression, to only have one posture and to live like it's a transactional thing. Thanks for listening. We would love to hear how you have been impacted by this message. You can contact us at info at hillcity.ca or simply find us on Facebook and Instagram.